Another Way to Play, episode 33. Hey, this is Greg Hicks, co-founder of Foster Hicks. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my very good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone I've been really excited to bring on. It's Greg Hicks. Uh, Greg is a pioneer in the research of individual and group well-being and leadership, a national best-selling author, and the co-founder of Foster Hicks, a company that helps people and organizations achieve success. Uh, Since 1995, Greg and his partner Rick have traveled to all 50 states, seven continents, and over 60 countries, finding and interviewing people in communities that thrive. From their acclaimed research, uh, they've developed the Foster Hicks system of nine behaviors. They turned that into their first book called How We Choose to Be Happy, The Nine Choices of Extremely Happy People that's been translated into 22 languages, Book of the Month Club, Best Book of the Year Award, uh, was nominated uh, Best Motivational Book by the prestigious Books for a Better Life. Uh, Since then, they've published several other books and helped countless others through their unique leadership and happiness training uh, achieve success in their lives individually and in business and in uh, many other group settings. During this conversation, we had a great time, frankly, in in this conversation, um, talked about basically how Greg started his professional career on a path that he thought he wanted to be on, or or rather was supposed to be on. Uh, It wasn't until his 30s that he realized there was an alternative route, which took him in a very different direction. So that comes pretty early in the conversation. He also talks about basically how he turned a passion of his, which was travel, learning, uh, going to exotic places, and writing into to uh, the book that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And then he also has a comment towards the end uh, where he says he does not aim to have goals in his life, but he wants to have intentions. So he defines the difference between the two and why he cares to have intentions and not goals. Before we get into the interview with Greg, I just want to remind you, I'd love to have a conversation with you personally. So if you go down into the show notes and find my Calendly link, you can book yourself for a time on my calendar that we can have a chat about the podcast, about the Olympics, about business in general, life, whatever. Um, But I would love to find out who you are, what's resonating with you, and how I can make this content even better and more relevant to you in your life. So without any further ado, let's get to the conversation with my good friend, Greg Hicks. Greg, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I'm really excited to have you on. It is my extreme pleasure. Thank you, Hans. Well, it took us a, a little bit of time to get this scheduled, but I'm glad we finally made it. We just got got through your bio and told the audience a little bit about you, but 
before we get into your story, which I'm really excited to do, uh, why don't you take us back, build a little bit of context and, and kind of tell us where your journey began? Well, so if I take you all the way back, you know, it all started in a small town and um, I uh, grew up uh, in a, a loving household and we were extremely traditional and rigid. So uh, a quick story, when I was young, we would take a Sunday drive every Sunday and um, we would plan to leave at 1.30. So even if we were all ready, like way before 1.30, we would sit on the couch and look at our watches and say things like, oh, it's only seven more minutes before we get to leave. So <laughs> I, as you'll see, probably as we talk further, I almost ended up going 180 from that in terms of risk-taking and, and maybe breaking a few rules along the way and living a spontaneous life as opposed to a rigid one. So I think that's important in terms of where I came from is someplace very different than where I ended up. So you did not adopt the ideals that your your family sort of instilled at a young age. I at didn't. Least in, I, at least I, in at, that way. Right. At least in that way. And at the time, I was perfectly content, you know, living in that kind of structure. And I didn't think anything was odd about it. And then, you know, things sort of happened later on. Yeah, as they as they do, and so so you grew up in the in a much more rigid family that that on the dot would leave for the Sunday drive, and I imagine you know lived life in it in a way that sort of was reflective of that. Um, you know, take us take us into your your high school time. Like you've you've written a lot of books, you've done a lot of entrepreneurial things, and created a company yourself now. But like when you were young, did you think that that was a direction that you wanted to go, or knew that you wanted to you know, work for yourself and travel and do all the things that you've done? Yeah, that's such a good question, Hans. I think when I was in high school, I was still very much of a traditionalist. I wanted to just get a job and get married and have a family. So uh, the minute, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but mm -hmm. the minute I graduated from college, I got a teaching job as a sixth grade teacher in Marin County and I fell in love with the third grade teacher named Kathy. And we, you know, I was 22 years old. We instantly got married. A year later, actually nine months later, we had a child, my first child. I had, I quit teaching. I had a corporate job in San Francisco. I wore a tie every day and, and put the bus in. Had no idea really that I was gay because I was so on path of what I had seen and what those expectations were of me. Wow. So it sounds, I mean, it sounds like this process of getting married, having the kid, uh, getting the job happened within maybe two years or less. Right. And then a couple of years later, I had my, my second child, daughter. Um, and of course I would say now those are the two absolute best things about my life mm -hmm. are, are those children. So it was, it was wonderful, but I, it was not until I was in my early thirties that I even began to tap into who was kind of the authentic me and what, what really my passions were, which were 
of singing and art and traveled to exotic places. When I was young, I, you know, I would hear about people that, oh, they went to Paris. Oh, and I just thought it sounded so amazing, but I didn't think I would ever do it because that wasn't mm -hmm. something that we did. It sounds like you were really sort of tapped into this uh, path that was laid out in front of you and you didn't pick your head up to even consider a different path. I think that is very well said. Yeah. Because a lot of the people who are listening to this show are, are folks that are, are who are on a similar path, uh, maybe not the exact same path, but like they're, they're doing what they think they are supposed to do. And it sounds like that may have been some influence in, in your life. Um, but you obviously realized that there wasn't a completely alternative way to live and to, to pursue the world and pursue happiness. So um, what was that catalyst moment for you? If, and, and can you paint that picture for us? Yeah, I mean, I think with each year that went by, I began to be first a little more honest with myself. And I had been very much a people pleaser. I could be whoever you wanted me to be. And, and I do remember having a moment where I thought, sort of, I'm no longer striving to get everybody to like me. I'm now going to attempt to strive to be honest and real. And then my real little moment was uh, meeting Rick, my partner of 31 years. And it really, Hans, was one of those, in that moment, I, I it sounds so trite, you know, I heard the birds sing louder and the colors were brighter. And so that was, of course, a major transition in my mm -hmm. life. Luckily, I was able to stay, you know, wasn't the easiest path in the world, but close with my ex-wife and extremely close to my children who are now mm. uh, on either side of 40. So you, you had a, a pretty substantial shift in your life that, that happened when most people are probably settling into their, their paths and their careers and their, it sounds like your 30s. Um, and you, not, not only from a sort of career standpoint, but from just a life standpoint and a partnership standpoint, you know, did a, did a total adjustment and went a completely different direction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really did. And one of the things that was great about meeting Rick is we, we are so similar in so many ways, but our backgrounds couldn't be more different. I mean, as I described, mine was, very, you know, kind of waspy, traditional. He comes from a, a Brooklyn Jewish family that's loud and, and um, you know, puts it right out there. And he had traveled extensively. So he opened up a whole new world for me. And I think I did for him at the same time. And although I still had my corporate job in the beginning, we started to do as much travel as we possibly could. What led you to that? Because that wasn't something that was part of your, your upbringing or your story up until now. Right. I, I think it was just always, I think I'm an, an adventurer at heart. Like I'm sort of hardwired to uh, see new places and see new things. So it was about at this point, Hans, that Rick and I were brainstorming, maybe we would write a book together because we both love writing. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, we thought, well, we'll, let's write a self-help book. And we were just throwing out ideas. At that point, I was, uh, I was uh, head of, the, of learning and development for a company, and I did their leadership training. And I, I was noticing that some of the leaders I worked with were extremely unhappy, even though they were successful, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I said, why don't we go study people who are extremely happy, not smiley face happy, but like profoundly happy. Mm-hmm. And he liked that idea. And that started us on a whole journey mm-hmm. where we actually eventually went to 70 countries to study happiness. And, and I'm assuming then the result of that was the first book. That's right. Yeah. So initially we um, thought, oh, well, maybe we would write a book that would be full of, of separate stories. I would hear somebody in the Ukraine, you know, the, this was how they created a happy life and somebody in, in Japan, you know, this is how mm-hmm. they created a happy life. But the reality was they were all pretty much telling them telling us the same things, that there were these nine universal behaviors that we heard all over the world. So the first book became, uh, it was called How We Choose to Be Happy, and it's about how people can integrate these nine things into their life. And we were really lucky with that book. It came out in 1999. At that point, there weren't a lot of self-help books about happiness. So we you know, we were on Oprah and we got all this press and we were bestsellers and that really opened gigantic doors for us. I imagine, especially at at that stage when, you know, we didn't have podcasting or the internet or Instagram or any of this stuff, it, it, being sort of a pioneer in that space and and getting on something like Oprah at that time was, was huge for the career. It, 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 It was. And it also sort of opened me up, I think, more to taking risks because nobody funded our research. We did it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so there was just this huge risk of going out there and interviewing people without any backing and maybe no publisher would ever want to write our book. And right. But we, we didn't really care. We were just enjoying what we were doing so much. So one of the questions that I ask a lot of people is uh, how important it is to follow your passion in business. And I've gotten a lot of different answers. Um, I'm curious if, if you felt like in this adventure you took, you were following a passion or if this was maybe something different that then evolved into a business. So I think it was kind of both those things. What was cool about it is that this, this project of, finding and writing about happy people hit so many of my passions, my passion to travel, my passion to write, my passion to be creative, which I know mm-hmm. is really important to me. Mm-hmm. The, the kind of irony here is that we went into this wanting to study something that had nothing to do with leadership, which was still my day job. Mm-hmm. The reality was we began to see that the best leaders we were working with, the ones that were really good at motivating people and getting good results, were actually doing these nine things. Hmm. And so today, all of our work, it is leadership training. We still do leadership training, but we do it in a totally different way, which is about helping leaders um, adopt these nine behaviors into the way they lead and in the, in the way that they build the culture within their organizations to build this happy, high trust culture. So wow. now I get to do it. I get to talk about the, the research 
every day of my life that I work. And just to build a little context around this, this trip, was it one trip that led you to 70 countries or was it a bunch of trips? And um, how long did it take ultimately to do all this research? Yeah, good question. It took us four years to do it, a number of trips, you know, because we, at that time, our, our children were teenagers. So we, you know, we needed to be present as much as possible. Some of the trips we took the kids with us, which mm-hmm. they still talk about to this day. I mean, they got to meet wow. these interesting people and, and, and be in the homes of people and cultures that were, you know, unfamiliar to them. Amazing. Gosh, travel alone does that, but then you get to almost, almost immerse in someone's culture like that. Like what an eye-opening experience for a teenager and for you, obviously, as well. Yeah, so, no, it, it absolutely was. For someone who has not yet read your book, um, you've got these nine choices, the, how we choose to be happy, the nine choices of extremely happy people. Um, can you go through those briefly and, and kind of give us the high level of what the research showed us and, and what you, if someone has, you know, no experience with this, but is intrigued, like what they could apply uh, to their lives and then what they would learn in the book. Yeah. So um, l- let me start by saying, since we established the model of these nine things, we've worked closely with both neuroscientists and we've done 12 years of research at the Mayo Clinic correlating these nine things to positive health outcomes. So Hans, it's really that new science of our positive behaviors and attitudes affect our body. They affect our immune system, our ability to heal, all of those things. So there's, there's so wow. much more research behind these things at this point. Um, all of these things help us stay in what, what neuroscientists call the executive function of the brain, so that's, that's the best part of your brain that's free of stress and, and negative thinking. And it allows us to just fire on all cylinders, you know, like bond more effectively with people, be innovative, be our best problem solvers. Um, and that's a lot of why I think the model has been successful is people see that actually rooted in science. So some of, you want me to, to share some of them? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I thank you for that caveat. I actually didn't know that, you know, but anecdotally, I can say that, you know, I, I physically will feel better when I'm, something is happening in my day or my thought patterns are a certain way. And, you know, just physically you can feel better. And I, I, I've heard a lot of research. So it's, I mean, I will definitely be doing some more research on what you um, have talked about, but yes, if you wouldn't mind giving us a, an overview of, of what you found to be most impactful when you're first starting with people. So one, one of the things we learned in this research is that people who thrive, regardless of their circumstances, are ones that we, we say set their intention throughout the day. But really what that means is before they do anything, um, they take that two to five seconds to ask themselves. So they're picking up the phone to call a business partner, a client, a, a, a spouse, whoever it is. And they're saying, given this circumstance, given this person, what's my best choice? Rather than just reacting or being on automatic pilot. Oh, maybe left unchecked, I would say, hey, we have this problem and I need you to A, B, C, D. But you think, huh, in this case, maybe my best choice is just to listen, to say, here's, here's the issue. 
I'm curious, what do you think we ought to do? I, I have a thought, but I'd love for you to go first. That, that act of setting intention that I, as a human being, have choices uh, and I can choose my best choice is something that sometimes we forget and we just do what we do or we just say what we say or we just react always in the same way. I think this happens a lot with defense mechanisms. You know, there's some people mm -hmm. when there's conflict, they just hide out or they just have to be right. Or it's, it's really actually making new, more beneficial choices all throughout our day. Wow. That's a really fantastic uh, example there. Cause I, I can even think to myself in times when I've, uh, going into an escrow and I've sort of just reacted in a certain way and just went on autopilot and, and how negatively, frankly, that, that uh, all uh, transpired after that and had to do damage control versus um, get a piece of information right. and I got to deliver to a client. But I think first, like, what am I going to tell them? How am I going to tell it? And it usually ends up better when I, when I take that, that two, as you said, two to five seconds. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think the other great part about it, Hans, is that you're, you're, by doing it, you're actually individualizing your approach. So if you think about your client base, you're going you're gonna to set it up differently, perhaps for client A that might be really introverted versus client B that needs excitement and extroversion. So I, I think it's such a great, you know, like actually sales technique as well. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this in your research have you found also that there's there because we were talking about intention and setting an intention on a, on a specific action but what about sort of on a on a broader scale as to you know setting an intention um subconsciously or or, or trying to train your subconscious to be that of the the person you're trying to become and, and i guess what i mean by that is you know going through an affirmation process or going through some positive reinforcement uh sometime in the day or in the morning to train yourself to you know become the ceo or become the entrepreneur or become the parent that you're hoping to be um, even though you may not be that person right now so that's what we call core intentions which are okay. different than these kind of moment to moment ones. This is really sitting down and deciding who, who do I want to be in the world? So maybe you want to be somebody who, you know, your intention in the world is to help. But sometimes the best intentions are the simplest ones. Mm -hmm. And so you, one technique is if you're really committed to that, you remind yourself all the time. So you have a sticky note in your, on your dashboard that says to help you. It's your screensaver to help every day. When you brush your teeth in the morning, you say, my intention is to help in the world. And when you do that, you actually help cement it up into your brain. So it mm -hmm. actually becomes over time more of an automatic response. So for example, you're in San Francisco, you see, uh, tourists, you know, sort of fumbling with a map, they look lost. You're like, oh, my intention is to help. And you walk up to them and, you know, help them as opposed to just, wow, those people really look lost and you walk on. So yep. you, you have to do things to remind yourself, you know, they say for 21 days, if you constantly reinforce, 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 
it will become more of an automatic response. And I, I love that example that you just gave um, because, you know, may, I, some people may call it, you know, so mundane and silly, but um, you, you could see the same thing in front of you, a, tour, a lost tourist in San Francisco uh, and think, oh, that's a lost person or, oh, I hate tourists or, oh, this is an opportunity to, to be the person I want to be. Same exact situation, but the way that you, you view it and then you react or and respond to it is completely different based on this intention that you've set. That's exactly right. And I, I tell people that all the, all the time relative to setting goals and um, you know, trying to gain the mindset of the person they want to become uh, because I, I see that in my real estate practice. Like if I see myself as a, as a top producer, you know, and I train that intention daily, I'm going to see opportunities to act like a top producer and eventually I'll become one as opposed to, right. oh, I'm a newbie. I'm only selling a couple houses or whatever. You're going to continue to be that version of yourself. Yes, that's so right. And there, there's actually something I want to say in response to that. We also, Hans, studied people who self-describe as extremely unhappy. We looked at both sides of the equation, both okay. extremes. And here's the headline on the unhappy side, and we have seen it over and over and over again. The more someone in their life says that they're unhappy, the more in their life they see themselves as a victim. Now, I think people are victimized all the time. It's not that it wouldn't be true, but if your chronic mindset is, I'm a victim, which you could do as a fledgling real estate person, mm -hmm. you could say, oh, you know, that, that I lost that deal and it wasn't my fault and I did everything just right and with that other agent. And that is shooting yourself in the foot. So in our model, it's, it's a okay, this happened. I didn't want this to happen. Now, what control do I have to make things better for myself or others? What, I, I might not have a lot of control, but what can I control as opposed to what everybody did to me? Because that is the mm. kiss of death. Mm. Taking, taking ownership over what you have and, and leaving the rest to, to be what it is. Yeah, I mean, what can I do about it? And beyond that, not it's just not framing yourself up as people did things to me and therefore I have no, there's nothing I can do. There's always something you can do. So I have uh, a, a question here, Greg. As far as the, um, a lot of the analytical people who, who are listening are, are sort of thinking, man, this sounds like a bunch of, you know, mindset, woo woo stuff like when you when you come up with a client or a, someone you're training in a leadership position who is on the analytical side like how do you potentially break through to them uh that you know training the subconscious like setting these intentions before a call um is the practical tactical thing that will will get the result at the end of the day assuming that that's what they're going for in that in that scenario yeah so that is a good question. Ironically, our current client base, we have a lot of uh, uh, tech companies, mm -hmm. a lot of big IT departments. We work with engineers. 
So people that are more rooted in analytics and they need evidence-based models or programs to, to buy in. And I think that is the beauty of all of this research we did at the Mayo Clinic and, and what we've done with the neuroscientists is we go in showing them the evidence-based and the, the science behind it to get that buy-in. I, I do think, and you know, because I've been doing, I've been working with organizations for a long time, more and more and more, even kind of hard-baked analytical leaders are getting that you can have the most brilliant strategy in the world, but if you don't have a workplace culture where people trust each other and know how to collaborate, it doesn't matter how great your strategy is. I think mm -hmm. kind of everybody, or not everybody, most people kind of get that now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that generally as well. Well, this is, I mean, I love the intentions. I love uh, some of the tips you're giving. Um, and, and I'm definitely excited to dive into the book more fully now because this is, this is fascinating stuff to me personally. And I'm sure the audience as well. Um, can you fast forward a little bit now to, to some of the research and, and what happened to lead you to the second book and, and why you wrote it? You know, some, sometimes things just kind of fall in your lap. So we mm -hmm. had been hired to um, go to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and, and consult with one particular department who needed our help. But to do that at Mayo, you have to meet with uh, the, the chief of medicine. And so, and we were told he did not like outside consultants. So we met with them and, you know, he was kind of gruff. And for some reason, right at the end of the call, I said, you know, our, our, we've also been doing research into happiness and, and wrote this book. And he said, wait a minute, your book isn't how we choose to be happy, is it? And we said, yeah. He said, oh my God, that book changed my life. It got me through my divorce. I, mm. I want you to do research with us. You know, it's wow. so hard to get an institution like that. To do, and we didn't, we didn't pay them. I mean, we, right. we just got, they, they, they set it up. And, and so we got extremely fortunate there. And then that, with that under our belt, it really allowed us to go other places in the, in the world of medicine. That's really cool. It's, it's amazing how sometimes those, those little ins uh, or those, those connections will just take you in a direction that you never thought was possible. It's so true. So you, you wrote this book, uh, the second one, Leader Shock, um, mm -hmm. and how to triumph over it. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Sure, yeah. So this book I wrote on my own, and it was really taking that same model, Hans, of the nine behaviors and connecting it up to strong leadership and how leaders can use it when they feel overwhelmed, stressed, don't know what to do, um, ha are trying to create a, a positive workforce, but just kind of can't figure out exactly how to do it. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the next book. And then by that time, we had more of the science under our belt. And so we wrote, with Rick, I wrote the next book, which is called Happiness and Health. And it's really, again, about using the same model in ways that really benefit our body mm. and our overall sense of 
not only our sense of joy, but our physical and emotional health as well. That's, uh, wow. So there's, there's the three books that you've really taken and had a full progression through uh, anecdotal evidence all the way through very stringently tested scientific research that is now taking you to this place in, in your lives that um, you guys are, are doing s- some really cool leadership training and uh, learning a lot and bringing a lot of value um, to the, to the world. This is pretty amazing. I, I do have one question because we are getting towards the end of the time. You've worked with a lot of leaders and a lot of very successful people and, and had a really interesting career of your own. Um, what is one of the biggest success myths that you've ever heard and, and maybe encountered in your research? Well, so one, one answer to that question is going to be very contrary probably to what a lot of people believe. But I myself have a, bachelor, a, a university bachelor's degree. That's it. One myth in terms of where I've seen really successful people is that the more advanced degrees you have, the more successful you'll be. Now, there are some organizations and some jobs that require it. So that's one thing. But uh, to me, the life experience of doing my own research was really what got me there, not, you know, not advanced degrees, not, not going mm-hmm. back to school. I never wanted and- to go back to school. I wanted to learn from just being in the world. I completely agree with you that, you know, if you want to be a, a neuroscientist or a heart surgeon or a lawyer or right. whatever, you, you need, you need education, you need some of this stuff. Um, right. But, but going back for an MBA and a PhD and this and that, like there's, there's a certain level of threshold to get you in the door education wise. And then the experience comes into play more, more fully. Yeah, that, that's, that's my belief. We are, again, coming to the end, so I want to transition to our final segment called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions that I ask every guest on every show, and I'm definitely excited to hear uh, your answers. Are you ready? I am ready. Fantastic. First question, uh, and and maybe this is an obvious one because you've written a few, but what is uh, the book that you've gifted the most? Okay, I'm just going to be honest and say that it's my, it's our first book, How We Choose to Be Happy. That's I, I kind of our it. calling card. Yeah. If if you had one that um, that you like in the industry that wasn't yours, what would that one be? Uh, let's see. You mean like a business book? And if there's a like if there's a book that you've gifted a lot that that wasn't your own, um, or do you have one? <laughs> You know, I probably don't have one. Not that I haven't learned a lot from other people's writings and other people's work, but I, I, I don't know if I could say one standout. Fantastic. Um, well, if you uh, could get an hour of somebody's time, uh, past or present, live or dead, and ask them as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Um, I'm going to pick Leonardo da Vinci just because we were a few years ago in Italy and we went, you can go to the town of Vinci where he was born and they've got a museum there. And it is so fascinating. The things he invented were many of the things they didn't even have the materials available at the time to build them like airplanes. And, you know, I mean, his, 
I would just love to understand his brain and his creativity and his genius. Wow. No one has said that yet. And that's a fantastic answer. Oh, good. Uh, What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Uh, Well, one thing would be the, the the going back to school always helps you in your career. Um, That, which, which, which I've already said. Um, I think people, I think people would disagree with me and, and many have about how I live my life in, in terms of, I have no structure. And I will tell you this honestly, Hans, my only goal is to have no goals. Hmm. Do I have intentions? Do I do, are there areas I want to explore? I've been exploring my singing a lot at the age of 66 and and doing a show with my good friend, Nancy Phillips, who you also mm-hmm. know. I was um, at that show. I, you were. And, we're and, you're doing do, another one and, and you're doing another one, yeah. And we're going to force you to come. You won't have a choice. Oh, please. Uh, you don't have to. It's on the calendar. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. I, I think it's, it's this uh, having a, a goalless life. Goal meaning... In five years, I will have completed A, B, C, and D. I, I, I want to see my life in terms of, you know, who I was in the world, not, not so much what I achieved. Because most people who, who get up into the, the high ranks of the business world and entrepreneurship world are, are quite the opposite and goal-driven. So I, I can imagine right. that um, you've, you've caught flack for that or had some interesting debates on it. Is there sure. a... Uh, is that just the, can, can you expand on it just a little bit? Cause I am so curious. It's, it's an, it's an answer that mm-hmm. I haven't heard yet. Do you have a, a, a more of an explanation or a reason as to why uh, you, you itch, aim to achieve that as opposed to accomplishing tasks and goals and thresholds? Yeah, no, I would be happy to. So I would say I have quote unquote goals that are like super big picture, like, which is really an intention, actually, the intention to find more ways to tap into my, my singing and my speeches. Mm -hmm. But do I have, which in, in conflict to a standard goal, which is measurable, realistic, attainable, specific Mm -hmm. to, um, make X amount of money in the next three years mm-hmm. to go to five new countries by the time I turn 70 to, I'm not interested in that. To me, that's like, why? Life has a way of presenting new possibilities to you every day. So why would you lock in to what you're going to do before you even know what's on your plate tomorrow? Yeah, I get it. Totally. And I, I've, been like that where I've set a goal early in the year. And then by March, it's like the the game has changed in such a way that like that is either no longer relevant or um, something. And, and I'm now interested in going in a totally different direction. Right. You have new information or you, or you, you, you've changed. Interesting. I love your, I love your comment about intentions versus goals. That's thank you for the explanation. 
Um, and, and so this may lead into a, a, a no answer that um, on this next question, but uh, give us a glimpse of your morning routine or do you have one? <laughs> well, it's probably not going to surprise you that I absolutely have no morning routine except for one thing. Okay. And it's just because I'm getting older. The one thing is I find if I do my body strengthening exercises, which is 20 minutes in the morning, everything is better for me. And so that is, I don't let myself take a shower until I've done the 20 minutes. Because once my day starts, it's hard then to find, for me, to find the 20 minutes to, yeah. to do it. So Other than that, I never eat breakfast. Off. The, yeah, yeah, right. But I never eat breakfast at the same time. I never. And let me also say, I am so, such a fortunate person, you know, if you look at the rest of the world, to have the luxury to give those kinds of answers. Like, I don't have goals. I don't need them. I, I, so I get that. I just want to say I get that. And not everybody has that opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate the explanations. And, and I also agree with the exercise thing. It's, it's important because it definitely tees you up for the rest of the day um, from a lot of perspectives. So uh, rounding this out here, um, what is the best way way that we can connect with you online the most? Yeah, so the best way, and it's pretty easy, it's, it's my website that is just my name, Greg, G-R-E-G-H-I-C-K-S dot com. And it's all in there, the, 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 the books and um, the, the way to contact me. And I, and I love hearing from people. Awesome. Well, Greg, you've given more than enough today. I really appreciate it. Um, I will definitely put the link to greghicks.com down in the show notes so people can click on it and connect with you there uh, and definitely check out, uh, get a copy of at least one or all of the books um, because it, you know, based on everything you've put into them, I'm sure you'll get at least that much, if not more out. So thank you again for your time and being a guest on the show. It was really fun, Hans, and I, I look forward to seeing you soon. Likewise. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, and, and we'll talk soon. And that does it for today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, if you want to learn more about Greg, as he mentioned, his website is greghicks.com. He loves connecting with folks, so definitely hit him up over there. And I've also linked to the three books that he's written or co-authored uh, in the show notes. And while you're down in the show notes, just remember that I have my Calendly link down there. I would love to have a conversation with you to learn more about what it is you're into, uh, what you're liking on the podcast, how I can better create this content. I'm happy to answer questions about uh, anything you're interested in and what want to learn more about. So uh, let's get on the calendar. Let's have a chat. And until then, uh, this is Hans Trezina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.
Thank you.